Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to the Two-Footed Podcast on a snowy Thursday, the 7th of January. We are brought to you by EPLindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider, so do check out their services at LibertyShield.com and use the code EPLVPN to get 20% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft. Home of Hopcroft are a home and giftware company. They specialize in prints, gifts, Really high-quality, bespoke, personalized gifts, hand-picked homeware. Check out the website, homeofhopcroft.co.uk. Worldwide shipping, so it doesn't matter where you are in the world. They will get you your stuff very, very quickly. Homeofhopcroft.co.uk. Right, before we get started today, I just want to mention a story I came across on the BBC website. As usual, I was looking through the BBC website for content for this podcast. And I came across a story that was actually written about a month ago, um, published on December 10th. And it's about Klaus Lundigvam, the former Southampton captain, spent 12 years with the Saints. A very, very good defender in his day, retired due to an ankle injury. And the story is about his life after football and what he went through and his issues with addiction. And how he has come through that and the services that were available and how he managed to pull his way through it. Uh, it's a really, really good story. It's written by someone called Sean Cole, who I can't find on social media because I was going to try and contact him and have him come on to talk about it. But I can't find him on, on, on Twitter. So uh, just Google the Premier League captain whose life fell apart and it should bring you up or just BBC Sport. Klaus Lundigvam might be easier. Um, it's a really good story, really worth your time reading. Uh, on from there, Nuno Espirito Santo, the manager of Wolves, has been fined for his criticism of Lee Mason. The fact that his criticism was absolutely accurate and correct uh, has no bearing on this. He has simply been fined £25,000 for the comments he made after their defeat to Burnley, where he basically outright said, Mason is not good enough to officiate at the top level. He later refused to apologize, but he has admit, admitted that they did break the rules of, of you know what's prim and proper for the Premier League because you can't be upsetting these poor, delicate flowers that are in charge of officiating the game. Sticking with Wolves, a little bit of transfer news. They have brought back Patrick Catrone from his 18-month spell a loan spell, I should say, at Fiorentina. And, I mean, this is obviously because of the injury to Jimenez. Daniel Pedence is out injured at the moment as well. 
uh, after he got a calf strain against uh, against United. Catrone didn't work out there in in his first spell. They paid they paid sixteen million pounds to bring him in from Wool uh, from AC Milan. He'd done pretty well at Milan. I think it's fair to say he wasn't a, a prolific goal scorer. He was always more of a second striker. But he has just turned 23, and there is a lot of talent to work with there. And he will be a better option, I think, than Fabio Silva. So maybe this is their way of working around you know, their need for a striker. I still think they should be looking at the Diego Costa thing. If they could bring in Costa and bring back Catrone, I think that works well for them. Um, and in fairness, Catrone, in his defense, didn't really get a fair crack of the whip. He had that one season where he was signed in the summer, and by January they were kind of like, no, this this kid's not good enough, and they binned him out. So, I mean, that's just not going to work for anybody. Um he hasn't done particularly well at Fiorentina, but Fiorentina are a weird team at the minute, so I wouldn't hold that against him. I'd like to see him get an opportunity uh, with Wolves and see how he does. I think he can be a player who adds something to their team. And look, he, his value was plummeting while playing for Fiorentina. They might as well have him back and try and rebuild his value so that they can sell him. They've also brought Morgan Gibbs-White back from his loan at Swansea. I think Swansea fans on social media, at least, seem quite disappointed by that. He's a super talented young player. Um, And hopefully he'll get an opportunity at Wolves now that they have brought him back. Today is, of course, Thursday. So we do have Twitter questions. So we're going to get to them. I think I've got about 14 or 15 of them. And I've one from last week that I've actually put a bit of time into this morning um the other bit of transfer news actually today while it's on top of my head is that sebastian haller looks like he is leaving west ham to go to ajax this is a bit of a surprising deal for me number one because other than him west ham's only other striker is michael antonio who is consistently injured um Haller has been quite decent recently. And I did think things were starting to to look good for him. Now, West Ham are taking a massive loss on this deal. They They owe Frankfurt substantial amounts of money on this deal, which was a fee rising to 45 million. I think it was like 35 million guaranteed rising to 40. They're taking 25 million. I think that's euro as well. They paid in pounds. And I think that 25 million might even include some add-ons. So it's a big loss for West Ham. Uh, It's a strange move. The rumor is that Josh King is on his way. Josh King is not as good as Sebastian Haller. Maybe he's more suited to the Premier League. But, I mean, Josh King doesn't play as a lone striker. I've never seen him play as a lone striker, and I don't think his skill set is suited to playing as a lone striker. So if Antonio is out and King is up front in his own, I think that's not going to work. And Moyes doesn't seem to want to play with two strikers. So again, I'm not sure how any of this is going to work for West Ham. Uh, Robert Snodgrass also leaving West Ham. He looks like he's going to West Brom. Now, 
It's very clear what West Brom's problem is. They can't defend. Robert Snodgrass is a left-footed player who plays on the right wing normally. He can play left wing. They have Pereira and Diangana who play on the wings for them. Both of them substantially better than Robert Snodgrass in 2021. So I don't understand this move at all. Uh, Jake Jackman did tell me that the rumour going around Newcastle is that Big Sam is also in for Andy Carroll uh, trying to get the band back together. There's the Snodgrass to Carroll Express that worked in flashes at West Ham when, when Big Sam and, and the boys were there. I, I don't know why anyone would want to have Andy Carroll in their team, to be totally honest with you. He's always injured. He's on substantial wages. He doesn't score many goals. Apparently, Newcastle don't want to sell him either, which is even stranger. I actually think it's stranger that Newcastle would want to keep him than it is that West Brom would want to sign him. Uh, God knows what Big Sam is doing, but Robert Snodgrass and Andy Carroll are not the answer to your problems. Not even in the slightest sense. Right, we'll jump into these uh, questions from Twitter. So last week I had one from Tom on the Cop, and he asked, uh, my top five players at each position in the Premier League, uh, goalkeeper, right-back, left-back, centre-back, holding midfield, central midfield, attacking midfield, right-side forward or winger, left-side forward or winger, and uh, strikers. So... Starting with goalkeeper, these are not really in order. Some of them are, some of them aren't. Um, Alison Becker is the best goalkeeper in the Premier League. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I think David De Gea is still the clear number two. I know he's not the goalkeeper he was, but I think he has just become human rather than becoming anything less than that. He was he was basically Superman for a couple of years there. Uh, carried a very average United team to a couple of top four finishes. Um, I think De Gea is still the, the second best keeper in the league. After that, I've got a group of three uh, with Hugo Lloris, Rui Patricio, and Alphonse Ariola. Now, I'm basing it largely on career body of work with these. So that's why, in part, I have De Gea so high, because he was incredible for years. Ariola's been a very good goalkeeper for a number of years with, with PSG. Lloris, I don't think, is the keeper he was. I still think he's very good, but he's been great in the past. And again, Patricia has just been very good for a long time. Um, right back was a little bit tough because I only think there's two elite right backs in the league. And then I think there's a bunch of good ones, some who could become very good, some who are probably trending towards being a little bit average or are on the downward slope in their career. But the two elite ones for me are... Trent Alexander-Arnold and Ricardo Pereira at Leicester. I just think both of them are, are cut above everybody else. After them, I've got Kyle Walker, who is definitely on the decline. But because he is declining, his pace is going, which means he's less likely to bomb forward, which I actually think has improved him quite substantially as a defender. So I've got Walker third. I've got Reese James in fourth. Again, I think he's drastically overrated at the moment, but he is a good player with the potential to be a very, very good player. He's definitely good going forward. He's a little bit ropey defensively, but I think he has it in his game 
and he has the physical attributes to become a decent defender. So I've got him, and I've got Maddie Cash, and that might be a bit of a reach on my behalf. Um, but it was frankly, it was him or James Justin, and I've gone for him. Uh, at left back, I think it's a much stronger group. And the five I've got, Andy Robertson, Luca Digne, Kieran Tierney, Sergio Regulon, and Ben Chilwell. Uh, I think they are the five standout left backs in the league. Uh, at centre back, then, I think the top three are Van Dijk, Kaglar Seonchu, and Americ Laporte. Now, I know Seonchu's barely played this year. Van Dijk has been inj- injured pretty much most of the year as well. And Laporte is not having a good season. But I do think body of work counts for a lot with those three. I've gone for James Tarkovsky because I think he is consistently very, very good. I think of the English centre-backs, him and Ezri Konza, I think, are the two best. Especially with Joe Gomez's injury. I think Joe Gomez's inconsistencies hamper him a little bit as well. But he's had so many injuries that he's never really put together a full season. Now, I know you can argue Konza hasn't done it at the Premier League level, but he did at the Championship level. And he has now put together pretty much a solid 12 months in the Villa first team. But I haven't gone with Konza in my top five. My fifth one is uh, is Ruben Diaz. So, obviously, a new signing for City this season. I just think he's been sensational. I think the improvement he's brought to that defence has been incredible. And I think when him and Laporte play together, and credit to John Stones, he's having a good season by, by his own standards. Uh, but I think Laporte is still the better centre-back. And eventually, we'll see that Diaz-Laporte uh, pairing. I think it will work. Tarkovsky, I just think is, I think he's really underrated. I think he's really underrated. I think as a defender goes, he reminds me a lot of Martin Keown. He's quite a you know nuts and bolts, heads and kicks a type of defender, but he's comfortable on the ball. He's a little bit quicker than he's given credit for. He's a very good man marker. I think he's a better defender than Harry Maguire. I have to be honest. I think he's a better defender than Harry Maguire. So um, I've gone with Tarkovsky. Um, Defensive midfield was tough because there's actually a lot of uh, of options here. And I have I have cheated a little bit, and I'll explain that in the next group. But the five defensive midfielders have gone with Fabinho, Alan, who's been great for Everton and obviously was fantastic for Napoli for years. Wilfred Ndidi, who is just a, a, a masterful player at that position. He's so, so good. Uh, Douglas Louise, who I think is the most important player in, in the Aston Villa team, and Calvin Phillips, who, who I just I think is a tremendous all-round player. Um, obviously, you have to mention Eves Basima, who's playing really well this season and is well worth consideration. You have to mention Declan Rice, again, having a very good season. I just think the five I went with, Fabinho, Alan, Ndidi, Douglas Louise, and Calvin Phillips, I think they're just a little bit above the other two. Now, I've cheated a little bit with my centre midfield group. Number one, I've gone with six rather than five because I've only picked four attacking midfielders. And you could argue that some of the the people I've included as central midfielders could be considered defensive midfielders, but I'll give you my logic on them. Thiago Alcantara is definitely one of the top central midfielders in the country. Uh, He's one of the top midfielders in the world. 
yes, he's barely played for Liverpool, but again, body of work. Luckily, did for Bayern Munich. Um, Yuri Thielemans, I just think, is a tremendous player. I I love watching Leicester play. I, I think him and Ndidi, especially when Madison's in form as well, that group just works so well. Um, Pierre-Emile Heusberg, you could argue he plays defensive midfield, but I think he's more of a sitting central midfielder. I, I think Sissoko does more of the, I suppose, the ball winning. I, I could be wrong on this now, but... Look, I, I'm Hoisberg deserves to be in this list. He has been incredible this season. He was great last season. He's definitely on this list. Thomas Partey is next. People think he's a defensive midfielder. I don't. I think he's a box-to-box midfielder. I think he's really, really good, and I think he walks into this list. Uh, Zambo and Gisa, very much the same uh, as, as Partey. I think best as a centre midfielder. His best games have come next to Lamina. I think Zambo's tremendous. And the sixth one I've got is is Thomas Suchek, who I had to include because he's having a great season, was really good last season when he when he arrived from um from Slavia Prague. I had to get one of the West Ham duo in because that centre midfield pairing is the basis of their team. And I think Suchek is better than Rice, so I went with him. Um Attacking midfielders, I've only gone for four. I've got Kevin De Bruyne, who's the best or at worst a top two player in the league overall. Everything about City goes through him. He's just phenomenal. Uh, There's no argument to be made against him, in in my view. Uh, Bruno Fernandes, I think, has been the best player in the Premier League for the past 12 months since he arrived. Uh, he's automatically on this list. James Madison. Now, his form has fluctuated a little bit, but I do think he is a very, very good player. And as an attacking midfielder, I think he's he's England's best option for sure. I, I think he's one of the best in the league. And um, Tangoy Andenbelli, who I've gone for more on what I saw at Leon. But I do think this season, he has been really, really good for, for Spurs. And I think they look a better team when he's fitting in the team than they do without him. So I've gone for an and belly. So I've only gone for four attacking midfielders to make up for the fact they went with six centre midfielders. Um, right-sided attackers. Mo Salah is, is obvious, I think. I don't think there can be any real debate that Mo Salah belongs on this list. Um, his his goal scoring, his creativity is just is off the charts. Raheem Sterling. Now, I know he plays predominantly on the left at the moment for City, but I think he's much better on the right. When City were great, he played on the right and was just brilliant for them. Um, so I've gone for him. James Rodriguez. I know he's kind of an attacking midfielder, but he does predominantly line up on the right-hand side when they play their 4-3-3. And he's in the team when everybody's fit. So I've gone with Hamez as one of my my right side of players. So I think the I think the left is much stronger than the right, again, as it was at right back. Uh, I've gone for Rafinha, who admittedly has only played a handful of games for Leeds, but was brilliant at Stadran, was brilliant at Sporting. He's just a really exciting, fun-to-watch player that I really enjoy watching. And I, I think he just deserves to be on the list. 
And fifth, then, I've gone for Riyad Mahrez, and I know he's not a starter all the time for City, but I just think, talent-wise, he has to be on this list. I think Mahrez is just a, a really, really good player who belongs in this list. Um, on the left side, then, I've got Sadio Mane. I think it's self-explanatory. Youngman Son, who I think is Spurs' best player. I think he's been brilliant this year. He's consistently good. You, you don't have a bad Youngman Son season throughout most of his career. Uh, Marcus Rashford. I know he's predominantly playing on the right-hand side at the minute, but he's obviously played most of the football from the left. He's just really, really good. He's just really, really good. It, it's as simple as that. Um, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. I think not having a good season, obviously, but certainly deserves to be on on this list. And then I've gone for Jack Grealish as my fifth one. Um, he's having a really good season. He, people will claim he's an attacking midfielder. He's not. He, he might be in the right system, the right setup. He's obviously playing as a 10 when they play the 4-2-3-1. But when Barkley comes back, I think they go back to 4-3-3 and he ends up back on the left where he played... Most of last season, he can play in centre midfield, but he's awful there, and he makes the team far, far worse. So um, I've gone for him as a, as a left-sided attacker. And then the number nines, Harry Kane, obviously, Sergio Aguero, obviously. And then it, it sort of came down to three from five. I've gone with Martial. I'm not in love with the pick. He's good. I don't know if he's great. He's inconsistent. He's moody. He can be a little bit lazy. And his dive against Man City was one of the worst things I've ever seen. Uh, I've gone for Jamie Vardy. I, I quite like that one. I'm happy with that one. He is just, he's consistent. That's the main thing you'll ask from a number nine is to be consistent. And Vardy is consistent. And then uh, Danny Ings is the, uh, is the fifth one on my list. The two that I considered... Dominic Calvert-Lewin, but I need to see it for longer. And Alex Lacazette. Now, Lacazette has the best body of work of oh, between him and Martial, but he hasn't really performed in the Premier League, and he's been in the Premier League quite a while now. I know Martial has as well, but Martial was great last season for United. Uh, you will notice I didn't mention Bobby Firmino. That is on purpose. I didn't forget him. He just... To me, he just doesn't make the list. Um, so that's that one. So thank you, Tom. Moving on to the rest of the uh, the questions that were sent in. So Connor Sheehan, um, at Connor underscore Sheehan. Current thoughts on Stephen Kenny as Ireland manager. What will it take to turn around Irish football? And do you see the FAI panicking to do a U-turn before he has a chance to make an impact? Nothing would surprise me with the FAI. Nothing would ever surprise me with the FAI. Um, there's a book out, I think it's called Champagne Football, uh, that I want to get my hands on. It's about the uh, the Delaney era and the shenanigans that went on. But yeah, nothing would su surprise me with the FAI. Um, what will it take to turn around Irish football? Time. As simple as that, time. The crop of players that he's working working with I just aren't good enough. I think we we need to get back into the Jack Charlton mode of finding the English talent that's not going to qualify, not going to be good enough to play for England. 
and you know convincing them to come and play for us. Obviously, you know if if Jack Grealish and and Declan Rice had made better decisions, <laughs> no, I, I think they made the right decision for them. But if they'd made better decisions from our point of view, um, I think obviously the team would be a lot better. But I mean, those two alone wouldn't transform the mess that there is. There's, they can't score goals. There's too many average players. There's a good crop of young players, but there's nobody really in between. Um, if you look at the last squad, so goalkeeper-wise, I mean, Darren Randolph is a decent championship-level goalkeeper. He's 33. The other two keepers in the group are Mark Travers at Bournemouth, who's their backup, who's 21, and Cuevin Kelleher who's the backup at Liverpool and is 22. So there's no there's no keeper in that kind of 26 to 30 kind of range, and there's no keeper who's starting for his club. Um, the only other keeper who's been called up in the last 12 months is Kieran O'Hara, who plays for Burton Albion, who are a League One team. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a level below where you'd really want to go. Centre-backs. Shane Duffy, solid championship-level centre-back. Struggled at Celtic, struggled last season when Brighton tried to play an expansive style of football, which is what Kenny wants to do. So he's probably the best centre-back they have, but he's not really suited to how they want to play. I think Kieran Clark falls into that same group. Um, Cyrus Christie is another one who's you know a good championship-level player, but he he really struggled in the Premier League, and I just don't think he's he's the quality you would want long-term. Uh, Kevin Long is a backup at Burnley. It was pretty terrible when he played this season. Um, then you've got Daryl Lenehan at Blackburn, who I haven't seen a whole whole bunch of. Ryan Manning at Swansea and Dara O'Shea. Dara O'Shea is 21. Manning is 24. Lenehan is 26. The others are 28 and over. So, again, there's just... There's there's a lack of players in that middle re, middle age range. Um, Lenehan is the only one. Other defenders who've been called up. I mean, Matt Doherty's very good. We know Matt Doherty's very good, but he's a wing back. He needs to play as a wing back, which means you have to play a certain style of play. John Egan is very good, and again, John Egan and Enda Stevens, both at Sheffield United, both absolutely key to this Irish team. Seamus Coleman has passed his best. He's also a right back which is where Doherty plays. You can play him right side of it, back three, but it's, it's not ideal. But if you've got Doherty as a wing-back and you've got Enda Stevens as your other wing-back, that's a good start. You know, if you've got those two as your wing-backs, that's fine. Uh, Egan is one of your centre-backs. He's comfortable playing out from the back. Maybe you can develop Dara O'Shea into one of the other back three players. But then you don't have that third one. So that's something that needs to be, you know, found and developed. Midfield, Robbie Brady's talented, but he's always injured. Connor Hurrahan can't get a game at Villa at the moment. Daryl Horgan is, I mean, he's playing for Wickham. He's not not great. Jack Byrne is very, very talented. But, I mean, he's been playing in the league of, in the Irish League for years. Now he's gone off to play in Cyprus and in a, a strange turn of events. He, Signed for Applewell and then Mick McCarthy got sacked. Josh Cullen is um is with Andelect. I don't think he's playing regularly for them. Jason Knight, I do like at Derby. 
Um, he's talented. Aaron McInef, I don't know much about. He hasn't been capped yet. He's at Shamrock Rovers. I don't know what his level is. Jack Taylor is another one that hasn't been capped, but is in the squad. He's at Peterborough. I mean, you know, Cousin Jeff, he's a good player. You can put him in the team. Jason Malombi is a, a good young player. Another one you can you can build around, you know, along with um, along with Jason Knight. You can build around those two as your, your midfield long term. Alan Brown is in the mix. Callum O'Dowda, I mean, you know, he's he's a winger, not a centre midfielder, but he's maybe a backup left back. James McLean could be a backup wing back. It's it's not ideal. None of this is ideal. The midfield group is poor. You know, this is the country that had Liam Brady and John Giles and Roy Keane, and you know, now we have we have nobody really, nobody that you'd want to put in the team and build the team around. Um, and up front, I mean, there's there's two schools. There's the older school, which is Maguire, Burke, Collins, Curtis. I wouldn't be a big fan of any of them, being completely honest. Um, there's Callum Robinson, again, not a huge fan of him. He's a hard work, a good player to have in the squad, versatile, whatever. Shane Long, at this point, it's just time for his career to be done and dusted. And then there's the young group. Then there's Troy Parrish, uh, Adam Ida, um, Aaron Connolly, and Michael Obafemi at, uh, at Southampton. Those four are all promising, but they're all very, very young. They're all 20 and under. They all need games and experience and time. And I kind of feel like Ireland won't really be good till those lads are in their mid-20s. And you've had time to develop Knight and Malumbi as well. And you've brought through a couple more defenders. But at that point, Doherty will be mid-30s. Stevens will be mid-30s. Egan will be mid-30s. So your defense is gone. So it is just going to take time. It really is going to take time. I really like Stephen Kenny. I really liked that appointment. Um, I, I felt it was something that we should have done years before. Like when, when Northern Ireland appointed um michael o'neill i thought that was a really good move to you know bring in a progressive young manager who'd managed in the national league and you know would would develop young players and and bring them along and, and build for the long term we see what the effect that that had on the north um i think kenny just needs the time he's had success we know he's had success we know he's been a very good manager uh, what he did with Dundalk was incredible. But he's going to need more than a handful of games for people to... You know, once he had eight games so far, four draws, four defeats. It's obviously not good. I mean, it's it's obviously not good. A 0% win win rate after eight games is it, it borderline disastrous. But he is a good manager. He's done well. You know, he did well... At Long or at, at Derry, he did well at Bowes. He did really well with Dundalk. He did all right with Shamrock Rovers. Probably not as well as a lot of people would have wanted him to do, given you know the expectations that come with with Shamrock Rovers. But I I just think in time he can get things right. They just can't chop and change, and they like there's not the players there to bring in anybody else and say right work with this group. There just isn't the players there. So you're going to have to give him time. 
Um, that's long-winded and rambly, I know, but, you know, the, the Irish team just... I, I don't really like international football, and the Irish team annoy the life out of me. Um, who finishes in the top four now that we're midway through the season? Also, realistic expectations for us that happened this season. That is from Grapevine ET, um, or Grapevine S. I'm not sure. Sorry, bud. It, your name confuses me. I'm easily confused. I'm an old man. Leave me alone. Um, I think Liverpool, City, and Spurs will be in the top three. I don't know in what order. My confidence regarding Liverpool's defence of the title is is almost evaporated um, with recent reports from the likes of James Pearce that they're unlikely to buy a centre-back. If they don't buy a centre-back, I think there's a real chance that Liverpool don't get top four at all. They say they won't be financially irresponsible. Um, They say they might take the gamble. I I just think it's negligence. I think not buying a centre-back is irresponsible. You've got a short window with an an elite group of players who are all in their late 20s, like the elite ones. Uh, Fabinho, Virgil's obviously out for the season, but Thiago, the front three, Ginny Wijnaldum, who probably leaves after this season. And to just throw the year away is bizarre. It, it It's an easy title if you buy your centre-back and just play at even 80% of what you're capable of. It's an easy title this year. Um, I still think... I, I'm still going to stick with Everton. I, I went with Everton at the end of the transfer window. I'm going to stick with Everton. Uh, they've had their dip. They've been good since. They have to get their players back. Dean, you'll be back soon. James is fit again. Richarlison will be back. I st- I'm going to stick with Everton. I think they might do something in this window as well. And as for Southampton, um, I, th- I I think kind of seventh, eighth is probably realistic. I think more likely is tenth, but they're having a really good season. They really are having a really good season, and I'm really enjoying watching them play. Um, Dublin underscore Demo, one realistic signing per club in January that could elevate their league position at the end of the season. So I actually did this last week, um, and here's the list that I had. So for Arsenal, Emi Buendia, I think attacking midfield is, is what they need, and I think he's a realistic signing. For Aston Villa, I think centre-back is the need. Uh, Duje Coletta Carr from Marseille, I think would be a good fit there. Brighton, it's a striker. It it just has to be a striker. Maxi Gomez from Valencia, they need to sell. Brighton have the need for that type of player. I think he's a good fit. Um, Burnley, if em- Emi Buendia is going to Arsenal, I think Emil Smith-Rowe needs to go out on loan, so I, I went with Emil Smith-Rowe to Burnley. I think he'd be really good on the right-hand side, opposite Dwight McNeil. Um, for Chelsea, they need a holding midfielder. I went for Igor Zabeldia of uh, Real Sociedad. I think he's a really good fit there. He's a very intelligent player. Reads the game well. Great positional sense. Would be cost-effective. Um, and I, I, I'm assuming Chelsea aren't going to be throwing around mass amounts of money uh, in this window. So I, I think he's a good fit there. For Crystal Palace, I went with Michael Olise from Reading. Um, he's rumoured to have an 8 million buyout which makes the fee affordable. 
He's the type of player they need. I, with, with the likes of Schlupp and Townsend out of contract in the summer, I think they need that left-footed, right-sided player who can play long-term uh, for them opposite Eberici Ezi, and I think he's the one. Um, for Everton, I went with Yusuf Atal of, uh, of Nice at right-back. I think that's their biggest need. I think he'll be cost-effective. For Fulham, uh, I think it's a striker. I think it has to be someone that can put the ball in the net. Arcadius Millick is sitting, rotting away at, at Napoli. I think you could get him for a small fee, give him a six-month contract, and say to him, look, if we stay up, here's a three- or four-year deal for you know X amount of money. If we don't, we'll let you go. I, I don't see they have anything to lose there. Yes, they could be out four or five million quid, but what's the alternative? Go down without a fight? You're going to lose that money anyway. Um, for Leeds, I think a centre midfielder is the need. I think um, someone that can at times drop in next to Phillips but can be kind of an engine going box to box. I went with Lewis Cook of Bournemouth. I don't know if Bournemouth would sell, but he's from Leeds. He came through the academy. He's a very, very good player. I think he'd be a nice fit there. I don't think he'd be too expensive if they would sell him. Uh, for Leicester, I think it's that right-sided forward spot that they need to fill, or right-wing spot if they play the, the 4-1-4-1. I think Ishmael Assar of Watford would be a nice fit. Brendan does seem to prefer that right-footed player out there, hence why we've seen um, a lot of Matty Albright in this season. So I think Ishmael Assar could be a nice fit. For Liverpool, it has to be a centre-back. Uh, I went with Sven Botman. I, him or David Carmo, either one works. For Man City, a left-back. Um, went with uh, Jose Gea from uh, Valencia. I think he'd be cost-effective. I think he'd suit Pep's style of play. Um, yeah, I, I think he'd, he'd make a lot of sense. For Manchester United, again, it's a defensive midfielder, but it has to be someone who's good on the ball, good positional sense, reads the game very well. Um, Marcelo Brozovic of uh, Inter Milan, I think, would be the one. I think he'd be a little bit expensive, but I think he'd be a good fit for United and what they need. Um, I went with Josh King to to um, Newcastle because I think they need goals. Now, it does appear like he's going to West Ham. He only has six months left in his contract. Uh, but, I, you know, I went with Josh King to Newcastle. Uh, Sheffield United, I think an attacking midfielder would help. Uh, I went with Jesse Lingard. Now, at the time, he only had six months left in his deal. And I said a loan, not a buy, because they're they're going down regardless. But a loan would make sense. He has since extended his contract. So a loan makes even more sense. Loan him, get him in the shop window, see how he does. If he does well, you sell him in the summer. If not, you just loan him out again next season and you you, you know you cut your losses. For Southampton, I think more creativity uh, would, would fit. Todd Cantwell. Doesn't have the best relationship with Daniel Farka. Tried to push his way out last summer. Hasn't always been in the team this year. Hard-working player. Adds creativity and goals. I think he'd fit well under Ralph. For Spurs, upgrade on Moussa Sissoko. I think that's the that's the, the clear and obvious one. Sabubikari Samara of Lille. For West Brom, uh, a centre-back who can bring some leadership, who'll head it and kick it comfortable in small spaces, hold a line, do what's asked. Phil Jones is the one I think is the best fit, needs to get out of United. And again, I think United could loan him. Uh, West Ham, I think left back is their biggest need. Um, I think Rico Henry from Brentford would be a really good fit. 
And for Wolves, I think it's a striker. Um, I know they've bought back Catrone. I think Luka Jovic of Real Madrid on the outs there hasn't performed for them. I think he'd be a really nice fit. So, uh, yeah, he's he's the one I've got. Moving on. Um, Arturo Cordial at a Cordialus. Do Liverpool still win the league without a centre-back purchase? I think no, if I'm honest. I think no. Because Liverpool are currently a Fabinho injury away from having to start two from three of Nat Phillips, Reese Williams and Jordan Henderson as their centre-back pairing for a run of games. Uh, Reese Williams was playing conference football last year, was due to go on loan in the, in the off-season, would have been going to a League 1 or League 2 team until the Virgil injury. Nat Phillips has been sold, and it was bottom-end championship and League 1 teams who were in for him. Their levels have not changed massively. They haven't gone from being that level of player to Premier League caliber, Premier League winner caliber players in four months, not even slightly. Um, they both have quite limited ceilings as well. I mean, there's an, an article on, in, on the Athletic today where uh, Reese Williams is referred to as, I think, talent rich, a talent rich prospect. Nonsense. He can't run. He has no pace. At best, he'll be a low-end Premier League team, Premier League player, who plays in a deep line with everything in front of him. Um, Right now, he's a championship-level player at at best. And Nat Phillips is exactly the same. So, no, I don't... And Jordan Henderson is just awful there. Atrocious. No positional sense. Can't read the game. No judgment, no spatial awareness, panics under pressure. No, absolutely not. I don't think Liverpool can win the Premier League without a, a Premier League, without a centre back signing. Um, Lee Jones at LJK eighteen ninety two. Realistic centre back options for Liverpool who are best suiting to operating as part of a high line. I, I, David Carmo is still the name that jumps at me, but. If they wanted to get creative, Eder Militao at Real Madrid is probably available. Now, he might be a little bit expensive, but I think he's good enough to be a fixture, a long-term starter from next season on next to Virgil. This season next to Fab, next season next to Virgil. I think he can lock down that right-side centre-back role for a long, long time. Now, Real bought him two years ago. And they paid, I want to say, about 35 million for him. They paid 50 million euro. That's more than I thought. They bought him in 2019. Um, Last season, he played 15 games in the league, 20 games overall. This season, he's played three games overall, two in the league. Uh, Zidane clearly doesn't fancy him all that much. He is dominant in the air, though he doesn't have the most aerial duels, he wins an absolute ton of them, like 80%. He just only has like two to two and a half a game. But I think that is transferable. He's very quick, can play right back, good on the ball. We have a Brazilian goalkeeper. We have a Brazilian holding midfielder. He'd have 
people he knows there, the people that can, you know, communicate with him really well. I think Adam Militao would be really good. Um, there's been a link in recent days. Now, it's maybe it's only a social media link, but the guy it's come from, I think, is fairly reliable. Um, and that is that Liverpool could revisit the well that brought them the great Ragnar Klavan and go back to Augsburg for... Now, I'm going to butcher this surname, and I apologize to him, his family, and everybody else. Felix Uduke? That's probably wrong. Uh, again, he's a left-footed centre-back. He's about 6'4". He's decently quick. Augsburg bought him in the summer from Wolfsburg. He had been on loan there last season. He came through at 1860 Munich was very highly rated, went to Wolfsburg. It didn't really work from there. Wolfsburg were going through that weird period where having won the title at the start of the decade and then kind of fallen apart and then, you know, gone through different iterations of what they were going to be. The budget fluctuated. One season, they were all in. They were going to do really well. The next season, sell everybody. We have no money. We can't do anything. Uh, he kind of fell into that period of time. Um Got loaned to Augsburg, did really well last season. They bought him in the summer. He's done really well this season. He's been linked. I do think, I do think he could be a good signing. I think he'd be a Joel Matip type signing in that. I I don't think he's a first choice centre back long term, but he'll be a very good backup, a reliable backup, and you could probably sell him in a couple of years for a big profit. They paid €9 million Euro for him in the summer. They're probably going to look for about €15 million sterling if we want to buy him now. Um, he has recently been called up to the German national team, didn't play, but does have six on the 21 cap. So, you know, he is he's highly thought of in his, in his, um, his native land. He's also eligible to play for Nigeria, but hopefully... If we signed him, he'd play for Germany because we can't be dealing with another player that has to go off to the AFCON in January because that's a nonsense. Um, Adam Hanlon at Nabby underscore lad underscore. Do you think it's false about us not signing a new centre-back? If so, why in God's name would the club be so negligent? Uh, I do think it's false. I, I do think they are working to get somebody in. I don't know why they'd be that ne- negligent. I really don't. I... It may be, like, James Pierce's logic today was that they, if they had somebody, they would have had them lined up for January 1st. It may be that they did, and that person caught COVID, which is what the situation is with David Carmo at the minute. Um, So that could be an explanation. There were rumors that a medical was potentially set for this week. If it was Carmo and he caught COVID, that could have pushed everything back. Who knows? I don't know whether it's arrogance or what it is, but Liverpool have have had an opportunity in the last couple of years to really enforce their will on this league, to really double down and have one of the great eras in Liverpool history. Now, I know they've won a Champions League. I know they've won a league. It's been, it's been amazing. However, they've thrown away the domestic cups the failure to strengthen last last summer is in 2019 after they won the Champions League contributed to them not being able to defend that because I think they could have won the Champions League again last season. They were a better team than Atletico Madrid, but the lack of squad depth, the lack of options, I think hurt them. Um, I don't know what the issue is. Whether it's Klopp, 
not wanting to spend money, whether they've got massive plans for the summer, but we've heard all that before. So I, I don't know. I genuinely don't know what the issue is. Uh, KCDesign.ie, what was your first football shirt and where did you get it? A Barcelona shirt with Maradona 10 on the back that my Uncle Brandon brought me back from his honeymoon. That was my first football shirt. Um, <laughs> Dave O'Donovan 5, will you be investing your vast wealth to the newly established Bank of Gibbs when it is up and running? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, and I expect to get uh, favorable interest rates as well, Eddie. When you when you hear this, I expect favorable interest rates. Um, FC Molman at EDMS twenty twenty two twelve. Um, how possible is it? Do you think that Sa- one of Salah or Mane would leave this summer, and how much would they cost? Keeping in mind both are twenty nine. I do think it is possible that one would leave. It's not outside the realms of possibility that both could leave. I think it's unlikely, but it's not outside the realms of possibility. Um, if Liverpool had, you know, other options that they wanted to pursue. Um, as for what they'd bring in, I think Salah has more of a global appeal, and I think you could maybe maybe get to like 140 with PSG, maybe. Mane, I think you're probably looking about 100 to 110. That's not to say I think Salah's, or I do think, I, I do think Salah's a better player than Mane. No, it must be said, I do think he is. But Mane's obviously a tremendous player. I just think Salah has much more of a global commercial appeal. And especially for PSG, owned by the Qataris, wanting to promote the World Cup, the first World Cup to be played in an Arab country. I do think having the biggest Arab sportsman in the world, or at least one of them, uh, would be uh, you know, a huge help. Um, David Dupreeze asks, every big corporation in football seems to be corrupt. The Premier League and their many refs may be no different. No accountability makes it easier. For me, the pendulum swings to corruption. With more money in the game, the referees' decisions get worse. So my question is, more money equals worse officiating. Is this coincidence or is it corruption? I don't know. I'd be wary to call it corruption outright because... I mean, I don't want to get sued for starters, but... um, address all legal concerns to uh, Mr. G. Tandon Wolverhampton that's all you need to write, Mr. G. Tandon Wolverhampton, it'll get to him Um, I just think it's incompetence, I really do I think it's incompetence of referees I think we're more aware of it now because of social media, because of the 24-7 nature of the Premier League now But you think back to when Howard Webb was refereeing and he was dreadful and Mike Riley and, you know, the the fellow who fell over when Decanio pushed him, I can't think of his name, he was awful as well. It's very hard to look back over the 30 years of the Premier League and name five good referees. Genuinely. Try and do it. It is very hard. Like, Uriah Rennie was awful as well. I just think we're more aware of it now. And I think VAR has, you know, has meant that there's more officials in the pool. So it, there's more bad officials in the pool. When there was 10 or 12 of them, or whatever it was originally, 
that was just 10 or 12 bad officials. Now there's probably 40 of them. So there's 40 bad officials. I just think they're incompetent. I, I don't know that it's corruption. I just think it is incompetence. Um, Mikhail Campbell at Macaque underscore 187. If Liverpool don't sign a centre-back, do you think Klopp should change the formation to suit the current players available, specifically the likes of Nat Phillips and Reese Williams, and to avoid playing midfielders in defence? Well, the problem is then you're playing Nat Nat Phillips next to Reese Williams, and that is not going to work. You could obviously play one of them next to Matip for the three games Matip Matip will be fit between now and the the end of the season, but the only way to do it would be just... I don't think you can change the formation. The only way to do it would be to drop the defensive line to the edge of your own penalty area. The problem then is that Liverpool lose everything that makes them great. Their ability to compress space, their ability to counter-press, that transition, it all goes away when you play that deep line. Um, I, I don't think he has an option. It's, it, it is literally sign a centre-back or bust for me. Um... Alex Wilson at 001 Wilson 100. Which team can you realistically see qualifying for the Champions League outside of the teams that have qualified in recent years? Which he lists as Liverpool, United, City, Arsenal, Spurs, Chelsea, and Leicester. Everton. Genuinely, I think it's Everton. I think they're the best team outside of that group. I think they might be better than one or two in that group. Well, they're certainly better than Arsenal this season. I think they're better than Chelsea. I think they've still got mentality issues that harm them against United, but I'd like to see their full team against United. If Everton had everybody fit and available, Coleman at right back, whichever two centre-backs, Dina, Robin Olsen in goal would be important because obviously you can't be having tiny arms. Um, Decore, Alan, Andre Gomes, James, Calvert-Lewin, Richarlison. I'd like to see that team up against United. Um, Especially when Alain just kicks Bruno up in the air and Bruno becomes a non-factor. And then what do United do? We saw last night, for anyone that watched, United got dumped out of the League Cup in the semi-finals by City 2-0. People have used this as an attempt to rag on Bruno because he had a poor game. Now, he did force one world-class save at his Stefan. But he did have a poor game. It's, there's no doubt he had a poor game. But he has carried that team by himself for 12 months now. What do you want from him? He's allowed a game off. Why was he playing? Why wasn't Donny van der Beek in the team? Donny van der Beek, who Ollie apparently rang and convinced to join the club and can't get a game, can't get a game in the League Cup. And you want me to believe that he was part of the plan all along. Go away. Um, yeah, Everton. Everton, no question. Uh, LFC Golfnut, do you think the cumulative effect of poor decisions by officials has brought about Liverpool's drop in confidence and poor form? Um, no, no, I don't. Genuinely, I, I think it's the injuries. I think it's the injuries, especially the Virgil injury, because of it drags Thiago out of mid, or grabs drags Fabinho out of midfield, and the Thiago injury. I think those two things are responsible for pretty much everything we're seeing going on. Um, James Houghton, James, Ho- James H.A. and a whole bunch of numbers. Um, 
at what point do you think the season should be stopped or delayed? How is football key work? Let me come back to that one because I, I do think that's an important question. Uh, YNWA Foodie, how do you think Potch will do at PSG? I've spoken about this with Carol Matchett recently. Let's be let's be honest and realistic about, about this situation. In order to do better than Thomas Tuchel, he has to win the Champions League. Simple as that. Because he's going to win the league because PSG win the league pretty much every year. So he's going to win league titles there. They don't really matter. It's a bit like it's a bit like winning the Scottish title with Celtic over the last eight, nine years. You know, after Rangers had been dissolved um, and then had to start off in the bottom league in Scotland. It, it's a bit like that. It doesn't, there's no, it sounds good. Oh, yeah, one league title. Brilliant. Great. Congratulations. Who'd you play against? Oh, Farmers, was it? <laughs> like, it doesn't really matter. It's not important. Um, Tuchel got them to a Champions League Champions League final last year and they actually gave Bayern a good game and missed a couple of good chances and were the only team to really cause Bayern any problems from when Hansi Flick took over so you know in order to do better than him you've got to win the Champions League I don't think he's winning the Champions League with that team I think he'll do well but like I think the 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 marker has to be you have to win the title. Like, you have to win the Champions League. You have to do it. Otherwise, it's not really a success. Um, and I just don't see it. Not with that squad. The, how you could spend that much money and end up with that squad, I just don't know. Um, Emmett, a.k.a. Emmett, asks if Tottenham were to sell Harry Kane to City for the 100 to 120 million reported, how should they reinvest it? Well, what I will say is I I don't think 100 to 120 million gets Harry Kane. I think you'd need to add 50 million to the high end of that to get Harry Kane. Um, what age is Kane now? Is he 27? Here's some great radio for you as I look this up. They should know this. So I was looking at it the other day. Harry Kane is 27. He will be 28 in July. Right. Let's let's look at the numbers that of, for Harry Kane. Let's look at the just the goals scored. Right. 2014-15 is when he made his breakthrough. Now, before that, there was no sign at all that Harry Kane was going to be this great player. None at all. He'd scored five goals in 26 games for Spurs. He had scored 16 goals in 65 games for Leighton Orient, Millwall, Norwich, and Leicester. Um, he was by no means a prolific goal scorer. Like, 20 goals, or 21 goals in 91 games. There was no sign that he was going to be this player. But he starts off in 14-15, he scores 31-51. and 51. Then he gets 28-50. and 50. Then 35-38. and 41-48. and 48. 28 and 40, 24 and 34, and already this season he's got 17 and 25. You're not getting him for any less than 160 million, I don't think. Um, in which case, the move is probably to buy two players. 
the move is probably to go and buy two. I think they could go and buy Erling Haaland. I think he's the obvious one to go and get. If you're losing Kane and you're getting that type of money in, I think Erling Haaland is is the one to just go and 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 bet on. Now, obviously, Mourinho only plays one up front. They've got Son on the left and Nabelli is 10. So, ideally, you probably want someone to come in on the right-hand side. I mean, there's a whole bunch of different lads they could they could track and could try for there. Um, but I, I think Erling Haaland will be the one. If you're going to go and buy a one-for-one one replacement, I think it has to be him. You could try for Pats and Daka. I don't think he's of that level. I think he's a little bit limited in his game, but I mean, you could look for him. He'd be an awful lot cheaper than Haaland, but Erling Haaland, just go and spend the money on him and then buy his mate, Martin Odegaard, to play on the right and give yourself a playmaker. You've tried to shoehorn in Lamella in that role. You've tried to shoehorn in LaSalle, so you clearly want a left footer there. You've brought in Bale. None of it has really worked. Martin Odegaard, Real will sell. Him on the right, his mate up front. Uh, bring in Sander Berger then to replace Sissoko and get them three Norwegian boys in your team. And, you know, the Viking effect. Um, right, James Houghton. It is James HA72789015 on Twitter for anyone who wants to give James a follow. Um, is Bayou alone? I'm going to give him a follow. Seems like a good lad, to be fair. Uh, and I like the question. I really do. And I think this is important. At what point should the season be stopped or delayed? How is football key work? Well, football isn't key work. It's just not. There is no logical reason for football to still be being played other than it's entertainment and there's an awful lot of money at stake. An awful lot of money. We're talking billions. Not millions, not hundreds of millions. Billions at stake. There's news the minute that Derby are going to have to play their youth team in the FA Cup this weekend. Um, They've had an outbreak. They've had to close their training ground. All their players are quarantining. Their managers quarantining. That's not good at all. Um, Poor Chorley had, you know, thought they'd, you know, hit gold. Now, maybe it works out better for them because maybe they've got a real chance now at knocking Derby out on Saturday. But, you know, Sheffield Wednesday, uh, I think they have the same issue, don't they? Where they've had to close uh, their training ground and it is starting to become more and more of a thing where there's more clubs been affected. We've seen it with Fulham. We've seen it with City. Uh, Sheffield United couldn't even field a full bench. Newcastle had to have a game called off. That's obviously then had knock-on effects on on Villa for the Newcastle game, Everton for City, and Spurs for Fulham. Uh, Sheffield United, to their credit, did did fulfil their fixture. But at some point, they are probably going to have to stop things for a couple of weeks. And the argument is that they can't because of the Euros. And frankly, if it comes to it, 
they'll just have to cancel the Euros. As things stand, the Euros don't look likely to me anyway. Like, I've said before, I don't think European games should be getting played at the minute. I don't think there should be a Champions League or a Europa League this year. They're taking place, again, because of money. That's unnecessary international travel. The UK is an island. Other than Northern Ireland, that's part of our island. We won't get into the semantics of that. But Scotland, England and Wales is an island. As is Ireland. And the way to stop coronavirus continually entering your country is to stop people entering your country and try and eradicate what you have already got there. It's what Australia did. It's what New Zealand did. Look at their numbers. Look at your numbers. I don't think there should be international travel. I think the idea of Euro 2020 in 21 is a nonsense in the midst of all of this. I know there's a lot of money gone into it and whatever. And, you know, it was a cool idea that it was going to be played among all these different cities. It was a great idea. It was foolish. It's it's causing more problems than it's solving at the minute. And I do think we're, we're getting to the point where we probably do need to take a little break from the Premier League. From all of football, really. Now, again, there's there's a lot of clubs that maybe can't afford to take that break. You know, how are they going to play the, pay their players because the TV money won't be coming in, etc., etc., etc. But, I mean, it just isn't essential work. It, you're 100% right. It's just not essential work. Now, I know Big Sam came out and, and said they needed a two-week circuit break. That obviously came after they got walloped 5-0 by Leeds. Notably, it didn't come after the 1-1 draw. At Anfield, uh, he then said it was because he was 66 and at risk. If you're 66 and at risk, don't take a job during the pandemic when you're a multimillionaire and can just stay at home and be safe. So, you know, Big Sam had his own reasons for it. It, it had nothing to do with the good of the game or the good of anything else. Um, I don't know what, what, what the breaking point will be. The you know recent talk is that they're just going to get on with it, and if teams have to fulfil games with youth players and such, I think that's what they're going to make them do. But um, yeah, we're going to see some bad football. Let's just be let's just be clear: we are going to see some bad football between now and the end of the season. Uh, this has gone a little bit long, but I'm going to wrap up with some gossip anyway, because you know why wouldn't I? Um. Barcelona presidential candidate Augusti Benedito says he does not think Lionel Messi will extend his current contract, which ends in June 2021. At least he's being honest and not telling lies to the Barcelona fans in the hope of helping it get him elected. Manchester City believe they're at the front of the queue to sign Messi if the Argentine striker leaves Barcelona in the summer. They thought they were at the front of the queue last year as well, but I, I don't know. I mean, maybe they are. I'm sure they'll be there with with you know the trucks of money but i i don't know who knows what messi wants to do um barcelona are considering buying an mls franchise to help convince messi to renew his deal after he said he wanted to play in the us at the end of his career they're considering buying an mls franchise they can't afford to buy players 
How are they going to buy another team? I think the franchise fee for an MLS club is like, is it 200 million or something? It's mental money. And like, that's for a new club. There's no new clubs on the horizon. There's no plans for any more expansion at the moment. Not in the next couple of years anyway. Maybe beyond that there will be. So they'd have to buy an existing club. This just, it's an AS. You've just made that up. You've made that up. That is nonsense. Maybe they could get a partnership deal with an existing club where the club is willing to rebrand, but they're not buying a club. They don't have that money. They're broke, like literally broke. Um, and who's making these plans? There's, there's no leadership at the club. They haven't elected a new president yet. So the, no, there's no plans at all. It's just nonsense. Um, Aston Villa plan to turn down bids for Jack Grealish during the January transfer. Of course they do. I mean, what else would they be doing? Ars- Everton expect to receive offers from Moise Keane, but the Toffees are in no rush to decide in the future. Good, keep him. He's really, really good. He's a really good young striker. Have him. Have him compete with Calvert-Lewin, and let's see what happens. Um, Mesut Ozil has agreed to a three-and-a-half-year deal with Turkish side Fenerbahce. Well, he's agreed to 15 different contracts with you know, 11 different clubs at this point based on all the gossip. So I, I just don't believe any of it until I actually see him tweeting it because that's what he will do. Ozil's future will be resolved soon, says his agent, but the World Cup winner's priority is to stay at Arsenal until his contract runs out because he's getting the big bag of money. Like, he's not there because he loves the club or anything. I'm sure he would like to play. But, I mean, they're the idiots that gave him 17.5 million a year. And he's not leaving half of that behind to to toddle off when he can just toddle off and get the other bag of money in the summer. He's staying, he's getting every penny they owe him, and then he's going to laugh at them as he leaves. Um, And then he's laughing at Piers Morgan as well, largely because he's Piers Morgan, but also because Morgan keeps having digs at him. Um, Manchester United's Marcus Rojo has agreed to a two-year deal with Boca Juniors. But Boca want to sign him for free, so the Argentine must persuade United to let him leave for nothing they might as well nobody's going to pay you for him because he's just not very good um, new contract talks between Liverpool and Ginny Wijnaldum have reached a stalemate there have been new contract talks so that's nonsense uh, there, ha- there have sorry there have been no new contract talks so that is nonsense uh, Spurs are confident that young men's son will sign a contract extension which will keep him at the club past 2023 uh, that's when his current contract ends um, this is a strange story because yesterday they put all contract talks on hold. Um, West Brom are in talks to sign Robert Snodgrass. I, I mean, you know, bizarre. Uh, Sebastian Haller is close to seeing a move to Ajax. Again, bizarre. Manchester United and England striker Marcus Rashford is the most valuable player in world football. According to an independent research group, with an estimated transfer value of 165 million euros, this is from the CIES Football Observatory, who are not an independent research group. They're a bunch of idiots, and every time they publish anything, it's garbage. So just pay no attention to them. Marcus Rashford isn't even the most valuable player at United, let alone in the world. Um, 
Wolves are considering recalling Patrick Catroni. They've done that, so that's fine. Uh, Middlesbrough, Stoke and Swansea are interested in a loan deal for Tottenham's 20-year-old winger, Jack Clark. I think Premier League clubs could do with him. Uh, he shouldn't go to Borough because, number one, he'll have Guy calling around for a cup of tea and he'll have to play for Neil Warnock. Um, that'll be number two. Hey, Stoke, Michael O'Neill's a good manager. I think he'd be an interesting fit there. Swansea would be the one. They do really well developing uh, young players. And Atletico Madrid's boss, Diego Simeone, has hinted he may not still be in charge next season after his side's shock Copa del Rey defeat by Cornella. Uh, he hints every year that he's not going to be in charge next year to get stories such as this um, all utter drivel. I, I, I don't see that he's going to leave. There's, there's probably only two jobs that he is going to leave for. One would be into Milan and the other's Lazio, unless he's going back to Argentina. He's been pretty clear he only wants to manage clubs he played for. So like in, in Europe. So I, I I don't see that he'll ever come to England. He's never forgiven the English press of what they did to him and what they wrote about him after the whole incident with Beckham in ninety eight. So I just don't see it. Um that's it. That is me. Last thing to give BBC a little bit of credit, because I obviously steal quite a bit of their content. Um there are five documentaries on the uh, BBC iPlayer app, and um, they've recommended that you watch them. I've watched them all, and I recommend that you watch them. Uh, Marcus Rashford feeding Britain's, Britain's children uh, is brilliant. Uh, One Man in His Shoes is is really, really good. It's literally about sneaker culture. It's really, really good. Uh, Antoine Ferdinand, Football Racism and Me, it's incredible. Lance, the Lance Armstrong documentary is must watch. And Inside the Cage, the rise of female fighters is actually really good as well. Now, if you're not into MMA or anything like that, maybe it's not for you, but it is still, it's a good human interest one. Um, and that's it. That is the show for today. It's a little bit long again, but you know what? It is what it is. My voice is a bit scratchy, so apologies for that. I don't think I've sounded as wonderful as I normally do. Um, yeah, I'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Guy. Thanks, Fox Hunt. See you later. Bye bye. Podcast Network.